0: I think mental health is becoming more and more understood, it's definitely, there's generational issues with mental health and there's stigma, but I do feel like we're at a place now where people are really wanting to dive in and define it for themselves. And what does this mean for me? What does it mean for my family? For my community? And really thinking about this as a more collective issue, which takes some of the stigma off. There's nothing wrong with you, it's how do we have like a healthy, strong community all working together.
1: Today on 2036, the podcast, we'll speak with Dr. Brianna Woods-Jager, a clinical psychologist and assistant professor at the Rollins School of Public Health, and Everett Moss, an Atlanta native and paramedic who is pursuing a doctoral degree in Emory's nurse anesthesia program. Whether they're treating patients, physical or mental health, these two medical professionals share one goal, to make a positive impact on the community. I'm Munir McJohnny, President of the Emory University Alumni Board, and I'll be your guide for this conversation. Let's get started. Welcome to the 2036 Podcast Experience. I am Munir McJani, President of the Emory University Alumni Board, and I'm happy to be joined by Brianna Wood-Jager and Everett Moss II. Dr. Brianna Woods-Jager is an assistant professor at Rollins School of Public Health. Her research focuses on partnering with communities to reduce and eliminate health disparities associated with stress and trauma. Her work has examined how social, cultural, and structural factors influence mental health and health risk behaviors among children and adolescents, as well as the development and implementation of trauma-informed, strengths-based interventions to reduce health disparities. Native to Atlanta, Georgia, Everett Moss began his career with the City of Atlanta Fire and Rescue Department and worked for various transport agencies, including Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Critical Care Ground Transport Team. After developing a passion for the medical field, he chose to leave fire services and pursue the field of nursing. Upon completion of nursing school, he worked in various roles such as emergency medicine, critical care, flight vascular access, and trauma program and administration. He is now pursuing a doctoral degree in Woodruff School of Nursing's nurse anesthesia program. Welcome to both of you to the podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Before we start, I just want to say a, a debt of gratitude that, you know, really everyone owes both of you for the work that you are doing, not only in the, in the United States, but being people of color and doing this work. So sincerely, thank you for everything that you guys are doing out in the world. My pleasure. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I appreciate
1: it. Everett, I want to start with you. You literally went from being in the streets of Atlanta as a paramedic to transitioning into the hospital. What inspired this change and how has the impact you make changed and what now excites
2: you about the work that you're doing? So what initially inspired the change was just that passion for medicine. You know, uh, as an EMT, you're with a patient in a very short time frame uh, and you get to see a lot in a very short frame. So uh, wanting to know more, wanting to be able to do more, wanting to have a greater impact on the patients that I came in contact with is really what inspired me to uh, make that change. And uh, can you repeat that second question? Yeah.
1: So what's kind of the impact that you're having now that you're in the hospital versus being out into the streets?
2: You know, I think it's just more of the controlled environment. We impact patients on such a great level. I mean, surgery is a scary thing for a lot of people and it's a comforting thing for me to be able to apply that comfort to the patient. You know, I'm kind of the last thing they see before they go off to sleep, and they have to entrust that we're there to take care of them, to keep them safe, to make sure that we return them to their families. One of the things that we said for the flight service where we were defenders of tomorrow, you know, we saw people on emergency settings where we tried to get them back to their families. In the safest way possible and I'm kind of doing the same thing now in the surgery environment because people come in for minor surgeries that could turn bad. Um, so it's the goal as the anesthesia provider to keep them safe throughout their entire surgery so that they can return to the loved ones. So uh, I really enjoy that impact on a grander scale. Um, even though it's still kind of a short time frame for most surgeries.
1: I mean, you're seeing people as they go to sleep, right? But right. as someone who's been put under anesthesia a lot of times, I think it's great to know individuals like you who are so passionate about the work you do and the impact that it can have in a successful surgery, for sure.
2: Absolutely. You know, it's a the smile. Unfortunately, you know, due to COVID, they don't get to see <laughs> it a lot. But, you know, we learn to smile with our eyes. And given that... Comfort to the patient is truly what's refreshing for me when they say, hey, look, I I feel like you'll take good care of me. And that makes my job complete every day when I hear those words. That's amazing.
1: Brianna, we got a chance to speak a little bit earlier, you know, about the work that you're doing in mental health advocacy. What role does the greater community have in the work that you do? And can you describe a little bit about how you set and reach your goals in collaboration with community partners?
0: Yeah, I would say the community is the heart of it. So in terms of the work that I do, so we have a lot of great treatments out there for mental health and great prevention programs and schools and things like that. But we have not seen disparities reduced. And so we have these persistent disparities. And a lot of it's because, unfortunately, many communities are exposed to high levels of trauma and stress without the resources or supports that are needed. So when I work with communities and partner with communities, the first thing we're doing is looking at what's what's currently going on, what are the needs, but also what are the untapped strengths in the community. And there's so many creative, innovative leaders that are really ready to do this work. And I think mental health is becoming more and more understood. It's definitely, there's generational issues with mental health, and there's stigma but I do feel like we're at a place now where people are really wanting to dive in and define it for themselves. And what does this mean for me? What does it mean for my family, for my community? And really thinking about this as a more collective issue, which takes some of the stigma off. There's nothing wrong with you. It's how do we have like a healthy, strong community all working together. So the community is at the heart of that. And really translating what we've learned from science into actual action that's gonna make an impact. that's the heart of the work that I do. I'm really honored to be able to partner with youth, with adults, and really sort of coming up with new innovative ways to do this work.
1: Yeah, especially with, you know, communities of color, right? I think we, we spoke about that a little bit, you know, and them accepting kind of mental health as something that we're now ready to challenge and take on for sure. So that's, I think that's incredible work as, as well. So a question for both of you, and Everett, we'll start with you again here. In the 2036 campaign, right, what progress do you you know, both hope really to see your efforts achieve and what are some key factors that you would need to get there?
2: You know, you mentioned being of color and being, you know, minorities in the industry. So I I think for me, just being a representation of what people from my community could be, Mm. uh, that's the biggest piece for me, kind of in my third career. (laughs) okay. Um, So hopefully by 2036, I'm looking towards the end of my career, but always reaching back and giving back. I do a lot of work with the community as far as uh, trauma skills and procedural labs uh, that I truly have a passion for and I think I'll do that till I can't work anymore. And I see Emory progressing to it, growing and expanding simulation training. And that's something I'm really passionate about and I'm excited to see come to Emory with building new simulation labs and opportunities for students because I believe that in healthcare that's where you grow the most. Sure there's a lot that we can learn from the book but The operating emergency and critical care theaters, when we simulate those, I think is when students really make the connections.
1: Mm. Do you think that helps bring a little bit of that human and compassionate nature to that work that you do as well? It definitely exposes you
2: to it. You know, The simulation environment creates that realism uh, that you can't quite create in the Mm. book setting. So if that answers your question, I think the combination of all of that helps trigger and start that. Compassion and that emotion, and those things that happen when you have a patient that you can physically touch.
1: Yeah. That's where it starts. Absolutely. And so, Dr. Brianna, you know, switching over to you on this, right? What are some things that you hope to be achieving and things that you, you know, hope to be at with 2036? And what do you really need to get there?
0: Yeah. So, I think kind of building on what you're saying about that real experiential learning and having people both be able to go out into community and really make an impact, but learn from it and, and have the classroom expand to the community. I think there's so much expertise and wisdom in lived experience and being able for, and so many of the students come from these communities, right? So for them to be able to have these learning experiences where they're taking stuff they learn in class or in the book and really making it meaningful for them and for their community, I think is really important. I was so excited, I'm, I've been at Emory for three years and when I came here and the School of Public Health, just the diversity in our school, students are so eager and passionate about the work they want to do and so being able to provide more opportunities for them to again see their passions reflected in our curriculum and being out in the community doing that work is something i'm really excited about and i think we have a really strong foundation for just in my three years i've seen how much we've moved more into the community and that's really respected and students are asking for more of it so it's it's an exciting time
1: that's phenomenal that the students are so open to something that they need so much you know there's so much resistance in the past years to this right and so your work, I think, even becomes more critical in the ta- you know in today's day and age, right? Especially with COVID, the distance that we've had with people and not being able to see folks in certain ways. So I think the work is you know ever prevalent and even more now than ever before. So I'll start with you on this one, uh, Dr. Brianna. Where can the audience find out more about your work and connect with you further? Because I know they're going to want to know more about what you're doing. How can they do that?
0: Yeah, well, we are a very open lab and would love to hear from folks. So we have a research. Um, our lab site is ThriveResearchLab.com. So you can go there, see the projects we're working on, um, see some of our partners and, and how we do our what our approaches to research. And then also you can email us at thrive at emory.edu. Would love to hear any ideas people have, questions. Mental health is a very broad area, and so um, definitely always looking to build more partnerships and collaborations.
1: Very cool. Everett, same question to you.
2: Well, of course, you know, I'm associated with the Woodruff School of Nursing, Nurse Anesthesia Program, so of course that's all information there is on the School of Nursing website. Uh, Personally, I do a lot of things with my Instagram and social media where I really advocate and just kind of show an inside day in the life of someone who's walking through my journey. Throw Um, your handles out there for me. uh, It's uh, at the underscore paramurse. So I was a paramedic before I was a nurse. So I kind of merged those words together and there you go. it's like a superhero (laughs) right there. Awesome. Very cool. We're going to open it up to the
1: audience. If anyone in the audience has any questions, please feel free to speak up now. Raise your hand. Oh, there's a question right here. Yes, please. I believe the question was, what kind of mental health issues are you seeing out there in the community?
0: Yeah. So I would say, I mean, the, the biggest ones I'm seeing are, uh, so traumatic stress. So not necessarily PTSD, but a lot of the symptoms that we see with PTSD and a lot of times it's undiagnosed and misdiagnosed. So people will actually respond with punishment. So when you see someone that's hypervigilant, always on edge, or maybe even hyper aroused. And so they're behaving like acting out a lot of the students I work with go, they get more of the discipline route. And so Those are things where we're trying to do education and really have people understand what am I seeing and what can I provide as a support rather than a punishment. So I'm seeing a lot of that. And then I think right now a lot of unresolved grief. So what we've gone through with COVID, especially communities of color who've had higher rates of death and loss, and it's really compounding without a response. It's a big priority for me. I am inspired by how communities are recognizing that and what they're trying to do. But I think we're really going to need to pay more attention and put more resources into responding.
1: Very interesting. Any other questions from the audience? Yes. This left side of the dome is just crushing it. (laughs) That's a great question. So I believe the question was, a lot of times when we think about mental health, we think about the challenges, but especially thinking about communities of color, what forms of resilience are you seeing? And I think this is a great question for both of you. Again, doctor, I'll let you start off here.
0: Yeah, so I would say, and and this is what inspires me to keep going, is the youth that I work with are so passionate about helping others. So the resilience I think is really this collective response. Like they believe in their community's strengths and they want other people to see that. So they recognize the issues and are actually very, mental health literacy in that generation is really pretty impressive but they don't see it as impossible. you know. And even like I do a lot of violence prevention work, the community violence rates are high, but they focus more on the assets in the community. So they actually want to do a campaign right now for violence prevention that focus on black history knowledge, like that being an intervention. What an innovative approach, right? Instead of coming down with more policing or something like that. So I think that there's a real like I said, untapped resources in the community in terms of resiliency and also these innovative solutions to the problems we're facing.
1: So I think similar question for you, right? And, and you really touched on it. There's a lot of times in Outland that's changing this where police are called instead of, you know, where we should be deploying someone like yourself, right? So what are some ways of resilience that you're seeing in the community?
2: You know, it's actually a, a good question that I really don't know the answer to. Something that I didn't realize until this actually past year of starting school is how much trauma experienced in my own personal life from, you know, losing a father at 14, starting my career as a firefighter at 19, and seeing kids commit suicide at my age. You know, I didn't realize the impact that had on me as a husband, a father, a man living in today's society. So I think I'm fortunate that I've been resilient (laughs) by my own definition, but I didn't realize the emotional impact that it had on me for so long. And I still don't but I'm starting to appreciate it more now as I'm older and with teenage kids and with the black son is starting to really impact me more and look into how can I protect him and provide that resilience and teach him how to be resilient as he goes through trauma.
0: Wow. Can I just say I mean that's such a powerful and that's what I see so much too is people who have lived through something and they don't necessarily recognize it all but the way they're able to then connect with those that are going through it and help them through I mean that's resilience and that's community resilience so thank you for sharing that
2: yeah when you mentioned the connection I was attracted to trauma right as a new EMT and I never realized my passion to it until one day I just reflected back and my father died from a traumatic incident and I never made the connection until within the past few years but all of these years I've been attracted to trauma incidents and had no idea why other than the fact that I you know thought it was cool to be able to intervene not that i wanted the trauma to happen but i wanted to be the person there to provide the care if it should happen and i related to not being able to be there when my father passed from a traumatic accident yeah
1: i think our history so much often determines where we end up in our life right and and i really think you know for those listening in and not here in person you've got three individuals of, of color speaking about this you know and i want to thank both of you I think just being in this field as people of color is a step in resilience in itself, right? Being able to have other people see both of you do what you're doing is in itself resilience and making resilience look like joy, right? And so I really appreciate the work that both of you do. And for all of those tuning in to us, thank you for joining us. Thank you both again so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Brianna Woods-Jager and Everett Moss. You can find more stories from 2036 and dive deeper into their work at 2036.emory.edu. That's 2036.emory.edu. This podcast was developed and produced in partnership with Ideas United and Emory's Division of Advancement and Alumni Engagement. This episode was edited by Ramsey Young and contains music by Cymatics and Denise. I'm Munir McJani, president of the Emory Alumni Board.